Good morning, and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. Good morning, I'm Karen, and today we have guest Karen Barnes from the North Bay Animal Hospital. Welcome, Karen. Oh, good morning. So um, if anybody is new today, is this, if this is your first show, Karen has been here before. Is this your third, Karen? I think this might be my fourth, actually. Oh, so they can go back into the archives on Coffee with the Sarlows and check out some of your other shows if they would like to before they listen to this one, but they don't need to correct? That's correct. Okay. So today we're going to start with a conversation around horses because you do horse training. Yes. So I've, I, it's a funny story actually. When I was a kid, I was uh, taking figure skating lessons and I uh, got to the stage where I was doing a little bit of competition and was, you're having to rent ice time and it was getting a little bit costly. So my parents said, you know, how much did you really want to do this? Because it's going to get expensive. And we, as a family, decided that, no, it was just going to be too costly. So I got into riding instead, <laughs> which is way more expensive. I was just going to say, I don't skating. think, yeah. It's our family joke. <laughs> anyway, so I've been, I've been riding and training horses since I was 14. And um, for me, training horses has, has, had some really interesting lessons for me. Uh, and uh, also my approach to training uh, has very much changed and evolved over the years. So I guess we'll kind of get into into talking about that relationship with horses and uh, how you use that in a training uh, in a training platform. So for anybody that's brand new listening today, Karen, um, you're a veterinarian. That's right. And I I have a small animal practice. I uh, the Horses are what got me in, interested in veterinary medicine. And I thought I'd be in, in a horse practice when I graduated. And I did that for a while. But what ended up happening was, uh, you know, when you're when you're the veterinarian, you're you're you can't help but be the intruder and the one uh, making animals uncomfortable from time to time. And, and uh, I found horses didn't like me. And uh, <laughs> and, and so that that was was not really where I wanted to be so uh, I decided I was going to leave my my horses for my recreation and and uh, small animal medicine as my career isn't that interesting though for other people that can compare that to something else in their life where we sometimes we think we're getting into the right career maybe maybe uh, another specialty and all of a sudden we find out no that's where I want to play and I think some people get that with sports or music where yes. you think you go into something thinking, oh, this is my passion. I love the piano or, and I, and I want to play for a living. And then all of a sudden you get a job doing it and it's, it becomes grunge work. That's right. Instead of, um, this is where my heart sings. So I need to kind of put that over there and not make it just about the job or work and all of the other stuff that comes with it, eh? That's exactly it. Yeah, so so I I realized pretty early on that the as you said horses were my play and my time away, my recreation, and I still love my work, but it needed to be something different. Yeah. So I participate in a sport called dressage, and uh, dressage is sort of dancing on horseback. It is very gymnastic moves that the horses have to learn. Um, it, probably good to Google uh, uh, dressage if anybody's interested and actually watch what's called a dressage test. So we ride uh, a four to six minute prescribed test. It's like a recipe and it has individual movements and each movement is graded by a series of judges and then that totaled and, and that's how the, the mark that we get it places us um, in a competition. And there are different uh, levels 
uh, within this sport. So you may have a really young horse starting at what's called training level, where basically they're just, it's about obedience, walk, trot, and canter, all the way up to Grand Prix, which is the Olympic level, which there are really intricate movements that require a lot of fitness on the on the part of the horse uh, and the rider and take years and years of training to achieve. Um, so, uh, and I've had horses at different levels over the years. Right now I have one horse uh, just above training level who's a young horse and one horse that's just below the Grand Prix level. So uh, different focuses for their training, but basically the principles are all the same. In this particular sport, there's a very systematic training scale that we use the horse has to be relaxed to be able to do his job he's got to be able to move forward to do his job he has to be supple to do his job and we're always trying to achieve those things every single day even as we learn new things so we may learn to do a new movement and that's difficult but then we then we have to bring relaxation suppleness straightness back into that movement again and to get the horse to be in that that body state and that mind state requires that they have trust for the rider, that the rider and the horse have respect for each other, and, and that the rider is patient and allows the horse to physically and mentally develop to be able to do that movement. And this takes, this takes a lot of time, and uh, it takes trust on the part of the horse and takes trust on the part of the rider. So when I'm riding, I've got a 1,200-pound animal that I'm sitting on top of. I've got two thin little pieces of leather in my hand controlling the front end of the horse, and I have my legs and my body controlling the back end of the horse. I weigh about 155 pounds. That's not a, that's not a lot uh, of leverage or, or body control that I have over that great large animal. So that animal has to trust me. It has to be in sync with me. It, it has to uh, be comfortable enough, uh, relaxed enough to listen to the subtle changes in my body that are asking for something from him. And I have to allow that horse the freedom in my body, in my hands, to be able to do the job that I'm asking him to do. And that takes a really long time. Uh, someone said to me once, uh, it takes a year with a horse before they even start to trust you. Uh, and I completely agree with that. Uh, it doesn't matter how compassionate and thoughtful you are right from the start. It takes that long. They're that sensitive an animal uh, to gain your trust. I've got lots more to say on this, but maybe you guys have questions. That sounds like great sex. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Guys are funny. <laughs> well, hmm. <laughs> I took that in a whole different direction. <laughs> However, the entire time you were talking, <laughs> uh, that puts a, a whole a whole new focus on this sport. Well, it does. But you're talking so much about you and your beautiful connection to a horse, a living being. You're talking about a being. You're talking about something with a spirit. You're talking about connecting with energy, with the, their intelligence, with their muscles, with their spirit, with every aspect. So to me, if I'm going to take that into a relationship with another person, so if that is your spouse, could someone listening to this say that that's exactly, she's describing my marriage. 
she's describing my partner or she's describing my relationship with my daughter exactly. or my son or my sister-in-law or my students at school. It, it, could a teacher pause for a second and listen to that or a surgeon yeah. or a doctor? I could just go on and on and on about how that, what you just described in detail is all about the relationships shouldn't we be all having with each other? Yeah, and this is this is one of the, the things. Uh, writing's taught me a lot. Uh, it's taught me a lot about life. It's taught me a lot of good life lessons. Um, the ability to let go, the ability to stay calm, the ability to be in the moment because you need to be, the, the, the ability to work calmly with intention. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I'm because the word that keeps popping up in my head is the ability to observe. Yes. And I think, you know, you you can talk about patience, you can talk about um well all of the compassionate things that you're you're mentioning, but if you're not observing like you said the subtle changes and the horse is also not observing your subtle changes, then communication breaks down. Right? Because you've got a being that's nonverbal and most of us if we're talking if we're drawing parallels to a relationship, we're looking at a partner or a friend or, you know, a, a child to be verbal back with us, uh, to, to provide that feedback. Um, but if you're not observing those, those nonverbal cues, then we're not really giving time or patience to that, that individual. That's right. And I think this is connected to your thought a little bit too. Um, horses, you know, there's a lot of questions, but why do horses perform for us? They, you know, they have, what are their needs? Shelter, food, water, other horse companions. Um, and for some reason they perform for us, uh, for us. And it, it, it's not for reward necessarily. It, I think it's for the joy of doing actually. Uh, and after 40 years of riding, when, when horses resist or don't want to perform I don't look at them I look at me so Yay. <laughs> I look at uh, what am I doing to unbalance them what what am how am I affecting them with what I've had to impose on them Do, is the bridle not fitted properly is the bit bothering them does the saddle not fit properly and their back is sore have I not have I not addressed a hoof issue that's uncomfortable for them are they stiff or sore in their muscles uh, is there something I'm doing physically to affect them in a negative way? I, I love this so much. Um, and I had no idea what to expect out of this podcast today. So this is really fun. Uh, if we're drawing parallels back to human relationships, you're asking things of yourself. You're being self-reflective of the actions that you've taken and how they've affected another being. And I don't think that we consciously give enough effort to our partnerships uh, in any kind of relationship to, to ask ourselves, what, how is the change I'm asking of this other person actually affecting them? Mm -hmm. Is it a good thing that I've asked of them? Is it affecting the relationship properly or the way I intended? Mm -hmm. um, and you're just, you're beautifully describing healthy boundaries. Yeah, and here's and here's an animal who has, you know, here's a here's a partner, let's say, who the only way I can, well, there are many ways I can communicate with them, but mostly, let's look at the physical way I communicate with them, um, both in my state of being with them when I'm with them, and also physically how I handle them. There there was a time in history, and there are still people uh, that approach horse training this way, that feel they have to bully horses. 
So they've got to impose themselves in a physical way on the horse to get them to do what they want to do. And that they, you can achieve, you can achieve things with that attitude. Um, but what you end up with a horse that's just given up and just decided that the, the, the path of least resistance is to do what you ask instead of joyfully uh, being your true partner and rising to the challenge that you've put in front of them instead of uh, bullying them into that challenge. I think that applies to people too. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Like you, you brought up a whole series of things of self-reflection and looking at going forward in a relationship by looking within first versus the, um, what can I, what can this, what can I do? Do I bully? Do I divert? Do I argue? Do I create crazy making? Mm -hmm. Do I create confusion in my child or my partner? Do I say one thing and do the opposite mm -hmm. and then wonder what is wrong with them when I don't get what I want out of this relationship? So that human behavioral situation of how do I change this person by people pleasing or by swinging it to the bullying or the crazy making and all the different ways that we do things in relationships that you're talking about as well saying, do I bully the, the horse into getting what I want? Or do I look at who I am? I think right. you, you've brought forth a beautiful thing for people to think about today. You're also looking at um, a solution-focused way of thinking, right? So you're being creative in the ways that you brainstorm. You're reevaluating intention uh, in, in all the behaviors that you make. Uh, and also considering the other, the, your partner's intention, if, if you want to refer to your horse as your partner, which is absolutely beautiful. And I don't think a lot of people do enough of that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> Did you remember what your thought was? If you lost it, you'll get it. Um, the other thing is, is about willing to accept mistakes, both from them and from myself. So when you're lear learning something, it's different if it's, it's a movement that you've done for two years and you're, and you're working on perfecting it as opposed to learning it, because those are two different aspects. Hold on. You just said working on something for two years and still being self-reflective. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's okay. the patience part of okay. this. Okay, yeah. so when you're talking... I think Kelly and I are just going to have to slow you down ever so slightly because <laughs> you've like... learned so many things that so many people really need to hear. And that correlation again between you're talking about horses, Karen, and I know you also have dogs and cats. So people out there can also maybe, you know, we can invite them today to think about their pets. Mm -hmm. We can invite them to think about the, the little humans in their lives uh, and and, and I'll say the big humans too, mm -hmm. uh, meaning their adult relationships, whether it's at work or significant partners or family members and friends. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we want to invite them to be able to think, okay, am I being self-reflective? You're talking about self-responsibility, about pausing to think about your own intention. Mm -hmm. That's right. You're also talking about consistency. And, oh, for sure. And I think this is such a good point to make. And this is something I really, really try and hit home in life coaching is that you need time to see and observe if the person that you're trying to engage with is going to be consistent or if the, the changes that you're wanting to implement, you're going to be consistent with. Uh, you know, you talked very early in the show about it taking a, a year for a horse to trust you they're still in their observing stage that you're going to follow through and be exactly who you you know you're, mm -hmm. you're putting forth that you're saying you are that's right and and, and 
at least I found that making very, uh, very clear boundaries, uh, without cruelty, of course, but, uh, but being consistent. So let's take, let's take, a. uh, Asking the horse to trot, for instance, from a walk, something really simple. Uh, if I use the same aids, if I use the same, um, if I use the same uh, con- control mechanisms with my body, or the same asking with my body every time, um, my commitment is is to be consistent from my side, and I'm asking for consistency from their side. If I suddenly ask in a different way, why would I possibly? expect them to do what I ask. So, so being consistent in how I ask being in, even warming up my horses, I warm my horses up, they have to warm up their muscles. And it takes about 15 to 20 minutes in my particular uh, uh, schooling episode. I'm very consistent about how I do that. So their level of expectation, they have a level of expectation about that. So when I go to a horse show and I warm up, I'm doing exactly the same thing. They have a level of calmness and uh, trust in me because they know what to expect, even though it's a different environment. You know, we've traveled a long distance to get there. There's other people and other horses. Um, they have that consistency. And I think the important thing to note is that the the, the way that you're communicating has not changed. <clears throat> so if, if we take it back into the people relationship, you know, people will say, so this is what a year looks like because things change. You, you stop communicating. You put less effort mm-hmm. into, into what you're doing and you have more expectations that are assumed mm-hmm. instead of verbally communicated. And so everything changes and people say, this is what 20 years looks like. This is what 30 years looks like. And it's not necessarily a happy statement. It's that you've stopped putting forth the effort. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you're going, you're going back to consistency and intention. Mm-hmm. Can I go back to your beautiful comment without cruelty? Oh, for sure. There, there is absolutely, and there's a lot of controversy about this. I believe there's absolutely zero room for cruelty in things with horses. So, when I ride and people say, well, you carry a whip when you ride. I do. I carry a very long whip. That whip is never used in cruelty. It is used in light. Horses have such sensitive skin. They can feel a fly on their rump. Okay. So imagine what it would feel if you, if you hit them hard with a whip, that would be incredibly painful for them. But it also means that they can feel, they can feel the tap of your finger on their body. They can feel the tap of that whip on their body. So I can use that whip in a very soft and gentle way to help encourage the hind end to move one way or the other way along with my leg in helping to achieve a movement. So we use it as, a, um, as an augment to our body uh, in helping with training or to build a rhythm. Okay, If we want them to move with a certain rhythm, you can, you, you can gently tap with the whip to achieve that. That being said, where, where is the place... To, is there ever a place to use that that whip in a strong way? Okay. The only place I would consider using it is if the horse has put themselves in a dangerous situation that's going to be dangerous for you. And you want to eliminate that behavior in that moment. So is it to halt them? No. Let's, let's take an example. So um, <clears throat> one day I was tacking up, this is a long time ago, one of my horses... And they turned and I, I, maybe I, d- I had done something, I don't know what it was, turned and bit me in the shoulder and it was really painful and that was a completely inappropriate behavior. And luckily I had my whip in my hand and that horse got in the moment as quickly as I could a really hard whack. That horse never did that again. So, so that was a dangerous moment that I had to, it's a 1200 pound animal that's 
in my hands and I can't afford to have that animal do anything that's going to hurt me. So in that moment, I needed something extremely strong that's going to, was going to have a huge impression on that horse so that behavior never happened again. I didn't want to just say, no, no, no. That wasn't, that wasn't a strong enough reaction to that behavior. So that's, in my opinion, that's the only time it's appropriate when it's putting the horse or the human, the behavior that's putting the horse and the human in some kind of danger, and it, there's a possibility of that being repeated, and you want to make a very strong impression. Can I ask a question? Mm-hmm. You talk about the horse needing a year to have trust in you. Mm-hmm. Let's say this happens year and a half in. Mm-hmm. What does that do to your trust? Is that another year? No, building? Uh, no, because I, I think I think the other thing is that, that they're still animals. And you have to always, no matter how comfortable you are with them, you've always got to have a sixth sense about where you are in their presence. And I'll explain that in a minute. And be respectful of the fact that in a moment they could react and do something that could intentionally or unintentionally hurt you because they're big animals. So when, for instance, when we're grooming horses, when we're brushing them, and we always brush them before we ride them, it does two things. It cleans them up, it also stimulates their muscles. So you're working along and maybe you're down working on their legs. For instance, you would never kneel on your knees with a horse when you're down by its legs. Because if it moved and struck out to kick you, you need to be out of there fast. So you've got, you, you developed a sixth sense about what's appropriate with your own body in relation to them. Um, in, in England, uh, for, for probably centuries, there's been the pony club and the pony club was a way to teach horsemanship to young children, how to handle horses in an appropriate way to not put yourself in danger, to be respectful of the horse. <coughs> and unfortunately we don't have that as much of that in Canada. And so I see often see riders who are doing dangerous things. They're putting, they're, they're taking risks with where they are in relation to their horses that put themselves in danger. I can't remember what your question was now. <laughs> it seemed relevant at the time. What, what it does for your oh, trust. trust. Okay. So, I mean, Often when something happens, I mean, sometimes when something happens, it's, it's kind of the writer's fault. Maybe you haven't been paying attention. You haven't been focused. And if you had been focused a little bit better, you might've been aware that this behavior was on the verge of erupting. Okay. So, um, I think, well, trust comes with experience too. If you're a rider who's only been riding a couple of years and you have something like this happen, it can erode your trust in the horse for sure. And you have to redevelop that. If you've been riding for years and had a relationship with this horse for years, um, you might be able to get past that in the next moment, right? Which hopefully you can. It kind of goes right back into, if we keep relating it to humans and behaviors Mm -hmm. about how we can love and trust somebody and something happens in our lives with that person where they throw us off or they turn around and bite us in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And how do you get back into that relationship mm-hmm. with them? How long does it take to build? Well, what did you have in the beginning then? Yeah. So if you had a foundation in the beginning, you maybe you do get past that a lot faster than somebody that didn't have that foundation. That's right. Cause you've got all that background, all that experience. <clears throat> and really with horses, what's the best, what's, horses or dogs or whatever if you've got to have some sort of negative reinforcement the behavior once the behavior stopped you go back to being consistent the consistency you have of of how you treat a horse who's behaving well right otherwise it's confusing they don't understand you holding a grudge they don't understand you bringing that negative energy into the rest of the day because they've moved on um and so should you 
I like that. If, if, if you could bring that back into humans again, yeah. then if you have good communication skills and a high level of emotional intelligence to ask good questions, be a good listener, and move through that, then you really can move forward. Mm-hmm. But you have to have those tools. Mm-hmm. And I think if people don't have those tools, that's why they can't. Mm-hmm. It's why they can't seem to get past something. Well, and it's interesting because you can you, you can see people's how people relate to other people, how they bring that into their riding. And they they will often personify the horse and expect to be able to use the same poor skills that they have in communicating with other people and how they communicate with horses. And it never works. I did an entire treatment for a woman um, who I think is going to come in and do a podcast. uh, And that's exactly the message that came through. Really? Was that the way she bullies people and the way she bullies her children, she she does to her horse. So she's, Mm -hmm. as you said, personified her horse and nothing's working. And she came in to ask the question, what's wrong with my horse? Mm -hmm. And the whole session was, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. And and she, she took it like a champ. And she sat there and went, well, this makes sense. Yeah. Because as you're saying, it's this that's not how horses function. That's not how they see or perceive their world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it goes right into everything that we're saying here between the horses and our other relationships, right, Karen? Yeah, for sure. So if you're going to bully somebody, but turn around and expect that they should have sex with you, mm-hmm. or if you're bullying somebody and you think they, they that my child should show me respect... None of those things are congruent. So you're talking about congruency between you and a horse Mm -hmm. and where people think there should be congruency, but it doesn't matter how I'm behaving. (laughs) Yes, that's a good point. You've taken, yeah, you've, yeah, lots of people that take themselves out of the picture. They don't even consider that as a variable, right? Yeah. And then like Kelly says, they come in and say, what's wrong with my husband? (laughs) What's wrong with my kid? What's wrong with the horse or my dog? And it's like Kelly said, it comes right back to, uh, can we talk about your behavior? I think about the women who literally drop their husbands or partners off at our house and say, you have an hour session. And it's like, if we can catch them fast enough, it's like, you know what? Why don't you let the partners sit in the living room and wait and you come on in? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's very, she's making a really huge point. Kelly and I do have quite a bit of that. And I don't know if in other professions it's the same, wow. if, if doctors can see the same thing or, I don't know, therapists, I don't, I don't understand. But it is something we have both experienced where, and, and this is not uncommon as well, where men show up, and this is very true, it is a male issue, where men come in and sit down and will say, so what would you like today? And they go, I have no idea my wife booked the appointment. I don't even know what you do. Wow. And it's like, you don't know what we do and you're here? <laughs> how, okay. <laughs> so how do we even begin with that? Because they don't, this wow. is the person they are, is that they don't even know why they're there. Yeah. But the wife was able to say, I'm bringing you someplace. I'm telling you nothing. And you don't, you have no idea what the intention is behind any of this. And I'm not even going to tell you. <laughs> and but, oftentimes, by the way, you're going to pay for it. <laughs> true oh the poor guys are just kind of I and mean, they're probably lost in their relationships in the same way they don't know what their wife's expectations are or intentions are that's <laughs> am why, i correct yes yeah. and that's what i'm saying is is that yeah. the males don't even know what the expectation is they don't know what's going on in the relationship so that's an issue but it also comes back to the women and how they're communicating that because yeah. that's the behavior that they take with their partners yeah. 
in, if you're going to book an appointment, do you say, I booked an appointment for your haircut? You're going to get a haircut. Well, they know. You're, oh, I, I booked your appointment for your, for your uh, massage. Well, they know. <laughs> poor, whoops. poor guys. Anyway, we're, we're just going to go right back to and letting you continue because I know Kelly and I are pulling it into. We want listeners to hear what you're saying and how you're learning. And then hopefully what we're doing is we're bringing them some examples right into what we see in the sessions or in, in life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I think the, the neat thing about horses is there's kind of no bias there. So with people, we, if someone's bullying us, we may, we may actually internalize and say, what am I doing wrong? Or maybe I should just be quiet and not respond to this. Uh, horses respond to it. So if you're bullying them, they're going to, they're going to respond to that in a negative way. Right. So it's, 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 it's more direct. There's, there's no other garbage in there. So that's the neat lesson with it. Oh my God. Keep going. Oh, <laughs> you have to keep talking about that. Karen, please bring that up because we're sitting at a time right now where bullying is rampant. Yeah. And well, and it's at all levels. It, really? It's at every level, whether we're, we see professionals, we see politicians, we see people yeah. at every, I, and I want to pick on any single profession because it's just absolutely everywhere now where people are abusing um, good systems too, mm-hmm. good systems and good procedures that were, that were created to create healthy environments so we could feel safe, so that we could grow and be ourselves. And people are using those very systems now to, uh, to abuse others. Mm-hmm. So when you say that a horse is just going to react and not tolerate, that is something that I hope people are going to listen to and go, right, if I'm being bullied or my daughter is or my son is or my ex-wife is or whatever, um, we, we have to be able to be a horse, I think, mm-hmm. and say, where's your inner horse? <laughs> well, yeah, tr- uh, trust your instincts, right? Um, and, and probably like horses over time, if you, if you just keep getting bullied and bullied and bullied and bullied and you have no, uh, you're not getting anywhere uh, with trying to improve that or affect that, eventually you just give up. Right. And that's what happens with horses too. I mean, if you persist with your bullying long enough, if you, as a rider, uh, bully and get through all that resistance your horse is giving you because you're bullying them, but you persist with your bullying, eventually they will just submit and become this dull, um, subservient, depressed animal who, who works for you only because there's, there's no other option. Can I bring to light the word depressed? Yeah. Um, because if I'd now take that into terms with not just your, your horse, but your dog Mm -hmm. dogs, uh, is it fair to Mm -hmm. say dogs have depression? Yeah. Okay. I I appreciate my fish was depressed. (laughs) I remember that story. Yes. He jumped right out of the bowl and suicided. I also think he was brave. (laughs) So we're now talking also about that when we, when we bully another person, uh, whether it's the spouse or our students mm-hmm. in schools or whatever it is, a coworker, don't be surprised if you bully your employees and they end up depressed mm-hmm. 
or you bully your child and they don't know how to move forward or you bully a spouse and your spouse has depression. Mm -hmm. And then we push them off into the, into the medical system and say, go get your, your whatever. Mm -hmm. We won't, you know, go down that road, but whatever it is, medicate it or deal with it. I don't want to deal with the fact that I'm bullying you. I want you to deal with the fact you're depressed Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to change my behaviors. So how does that person who's depressed ever really fix themselves if the bully has, isn't ever going to change the behavior? No drug is ever going to fix that no, situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, I'm just wondering, because I know you've got a couple notes in front of you. Oh. Um, did you want to move forward? Because uh, you are, were wanting to tie in other podcasts mm-hmm. uh, to your lessons, but I don't want to rush through uh, what you came here to talk about and what you've learned. No, and, and this might sort of take us in another direction, which is kind of interesting too. So I, uh, Eric Trelevin, um, your musical friend, did a podcast that I listened to. And it's interesting because I thought, oh, you did it for Men's Month. And I thought, oh, well, that's a, I'll put this on, but I'm probably not going to get anything out of it. Wow. <laughs> I got a lot out of it. And there were lots of interesting parallels uh, between his passion for music and my passion for horses. Uh and I think this is probably, as he said, true for anybody, someone who dances, someone who writes, uh, someone who has a passion for long distance running, whatever. It, it takes you, It first of all, um, it, it, it takes you to your happy place. And when you go there, you can gain perspective on other things that may not be going so great in your life. So <laughs> we have this joke in my house where if I come home in a bad mood from work or something, I've had a bad day, something's gone wrong. My daughter, Maddie, will look at me and go, mom. Have you been to the barn yet? <laughs> I think you better go to the barn. Because she knows that when I, I've got the drive there, I've got my time with the horses. And when you're with horses, uh, you can't take that angst from your day there because they'll feel it. So you have to go, you have to condition yourself to go in there with a calm presence and a clear mind. Karen, thank you for the tool. Oh. And, and I will let you continue, okay. but I want to pause because I think this is where partners will pour their partner a glass of wine instead of saying, what's your tool? Yeah. Where's your happy place? Yeah. It's here's a self-medication to, for, so I don't have to deal with your problems. Mm-hmm. And I also don't want you to talk about them in front of me, but here's a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. And, you, and Maddie is presenting you with something that is productive. Oh, I think it's self-preservation for her. <laughs> oh, she, you're <laughs> absolutely pre- right. Karen, we, I think we did it in another podcast show where, um, or a couple of them where Kelly and I have illustrated that very same concept of instead of just coming home from work, do you need to go to the gym first? Yeah. Do you need to go for a walk first? Mm-hmm. But, or do you need to come in the door and go have a shower and then put on your music, even if it's in your own headset, you know, strapped to mm-hmm. your arm, uh, uh, as you do whatever in your home. But the, the importance, and, and I want to say this too, to a lot of single parents who feel that there's no, there's no way to get that. They might hear that and go, yeah, right. I go from work straight to the daycare to pick up the kids and then straight into the house to cook the dinner. And they don't feel that, um, that b- being a single parent, perhaps that they have any of those moments, but you still can create them and you can teach them to the kids or you can put the baby in the high chair or whatever, bassinet, whatever it is that you have to do and still take your time, put the mm-hmm. music on, have the shower, have them color, 
there's a whole like or you know play with a puzzle or something but you're teaching them too mm-hmm. it's not just about teach having the parent create that time it's teaching the child that when we come in the door we both don't rush into this is the next part of our day we both need downtime take a pause we yeah, yeah. and yeah. you can teach your children that at the youngest age possible mm-hmm. so that that becomes the norm for everybody in the house how do we all walk in the door and each go to our own place to have that cool down time before we all come together again mm-hmm. and start dealing with the next part of life? Mm-hmm. So you did that beautifully. Well, thank Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> we thank Maddie then. <laughs> yeah. And for her, it's yoga. She goes in, she says, I've got to go do some, I've got to go do half an hour yoga. I just need to do that. Yeah, well, come on out and we'll have a coffee and talk after, right? Everybody's got their own self-soothing uh, formula, right? Um, I can't and, and if you don't, then here's the invitation to kind of figuring it out. We've mm-hmm. mentioned a few. For some people, it's as simple as their long drive home from work. Put their favorite radio station on. They actually look forward to their 20-minute, half-an-hour drive because it's their cool-down time. Yeah. Uh, so you, you were drawing parallels about passion and oh, being yeah. brought into your happy place. Yeah, and so so I go to the barn and, and, and change my focus and relax. And then on my drive home, whatever that problem was that was festering away in my brain that I was trying to solve, often there's a simple solution that I go, oh, hmm, isn't that interesting? That's easy. Or, oh, that's really nothing. Why am I worried about it? So, uh, and I think Eric touched on that um, about stepping away from a moment playing his guitar and then and regaining his focus and then coming back. And so that that sort of hit a chord with me because that's what happens to me with my horses. He also talked about being able to talk and play at the same time mm-hmm. so that he was using the music and how mm, his hands yeah. moved to be able to put himself into a mental state and an emotional state where he felt more in alignment with himself, mm-hmm. where he felt calmer. So that even if it was in the middle of a conversation with angst, because mm-hmm. we I remember him talking a little bit about angst and stuff in that show. So how you're talking about the horses feeling the energy. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about humans feeling energy. Mm-hmm. So if your kids are at home and Maddie's at home, then she's going to feel your energy as you come into the house with whatever you're carrying from the day. Mm-hmm. And that Eric was talking about the places and the ways that he self-soothes. So that when he's having those conversations or when he's in something, he knows what to do. I'm in angst. I don't like how I'm feeling. So that's the awareness of the emotions. What do I do to self-soothe so that I can think a little more clearly and not let my emotions drive this? Mm -hmm. And you're talking about the horses that they pick up on your feelings Mm -hmm. and that they they don't let you separate no, no, they, they don't no, let no. you. So you, you you can't fake it. No, you, you can't. can't come in the door. I remember doing that Tandrew one day when he was a kid. When I came into the door and he said, "Oh, you're in a bad mood," and I went, "No, no, mom, mom's good." And I was trying to be, I'm super mom, like I'm coming in the door and I can handle all of this. And he was like four, calling me out on it, going, "No, you're not." Well, and that's not, and really, reality of it is that's not really very fair because you're you're giving one message. Uh, physically and another message verbally and then that that leads to the whole consistency point right that's that's not that's not fair from a consistency level and then it gets then then your whoever your partner is in that moment is gets becomes confused 
about what your intention is. Right. And then try and have a good conversation with that person mm-hmm. <laughs> and have good outcomes. It's, it's, a, it's a process and a setup for failure. Mm-hmm. And therein lies the comment that you made about a depression coming in. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I want to say, Karen, is, is that we're fools to think that the only person that's depressed is the partner. We're both depressed in that. And I think people then might want to send the partner off for help, not recognizing that they have their own depression in Mm -hmm. this and may not recognize it till past the divorce. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about in the parallel I love between what Eric was talking about and what you're talking about is he was talking about some of the tools and now so are you. You're talking about where the horses are holding us to our integrity. Mm -hmm. Holding us accountable. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, because you can't fake it. They won't allow you to fake it. Yeah. So that's the that's the the gold they're the gold standard. Right? Uh well they are for me anyway. Um Well, that says everything. You're talking about that they're holding you up to a standard. That's when Kelly said boundaries. Mm-hmm. That's when we say, Where's your bar? Mm-hmm. Kelly and I often refer to in treatments and say to people, Where's your bar? If you don't know where your bar is, where your boundaries are then you're accepting everything else because you don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's when you're confused. So if someone feels confusion about a relationship, that's why. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about where horses don't let us go down that road. They hold us to the integrity of what we feel. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. But it's an, once you, once you're aware of that, it's an incredible tool from a personal, but from the human side of it, to be able to affect them in a positive way. So, so, so now my conditioned response when I go to the barn is to be calm. Well, my horses are very calm. And I really have touched wood very, very few behavioral issues with them, um, including my very young horse, who should, should, should be a problem, and he hasn't been. And I, I, think, I think part of that has become my, because I come with that uh, calm presence and intention every day. And uh, so he doesn't know any different. He doesn't know that he has to be reactionary. Is that good? Oh, my God. If there are like, like teachers and and I don't just mean school. I don't think a teacher means that you have to be in a building as a as a, and a paid professional. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about nurses and and social workers and every single person that has to deal with another human being. We can all be a teacher. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about that whole energy of what you're you're creating in your own energy as your own bar, your own expectation. I'm sitting here. I call that sitting in your power. Mm-hmm. So if you're sitting in your power and you're owning your own space and you're commanding it, now we're talking about commanding, mm-hmm. then that is what other people are going to respond to. That's not a bullying energy. That's strength. Well, and then it becomes a safe place for them, right? So my horse is the safe places with me as opposed to away from me, which is what I want, right? Because that builds trust and respect, etc. And great sex. <laughs> there see, you it, go. I see, it came back to that. It's brought it back to sex again. <laughs> well, it has to come back to that in some relationships, Karen. It has to. Mm-hmm. Because I remember a client came in here just last week and he said to me, oh, my wife and I haven't been getting along for 15 years. And, um, but I can come in the door, Karen. I can come in the door and put it all, be- all behind me. And I can, I can want sex. And I looked at him and I said, you are so full of shit. You are so full of shit. 
because you can't be an abusive person in the relationship and have that relationship have broken down and really be truthful and honest that you're open to intimacy. Mm-hmm. You're full of shit. And she's holding you accountable. She's got a bar. She's saying, no, we have to work on something. She's, hold, she's valuing her body. She's valuing her essence. She's holding you to a bar. I, I'm going to jump in just for some kind of argument's sake. I don't necessarily think that it's always valuing. I think it's protecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an mm-hmm. element of protection that happens with the body where the muscles seize because we don't want to be penetrated. Um, and, and it's it's a threat. And so when you are bullied, your muscles contract. And that's not to push you to any kind of state of being ready for sex. It's not any state of being turned on. It's to protect you from anything coming in. It's it's the it's or at you. It's the fight or flight mechanism kicking in. It's it's you being ready to act. And if you're being if you're upset or being angry at someone for protecting themselves and not, like you said, being self-reflective of why would this person, you know, in, um, subconsciously be pulling away from me, then you're really not doing your work. Yeah. Well, then this comes right back to horses. How can my horse perform, be relaxed and supple and fluid if they're te- if they have a lo- even low level tension because they don't trust me, uh, and, uh, and I, th- they feel threatened by me in any way. How can that happen? It can't. Well, how can my child then go to university and be successful and study and do well if I put them down or I give them mixed messages? I tell them they can be anything they want, but then I'm criticizing in the next moment. Mm-hmm. So we're talking, you know, bet- going back and forth between how we treat, you're treating your horse and the relationship and even where it's held in every single muscle. Mm-hmm performance we're talking about every aspect of this even the physical Mm -hmm. so did you want to go back and make more points about the parallels that you found the the other thing that I thought was interesting Eric talked about uh, right and left brain working together so I thought the same thing applies with the performance part of my sport so there's the 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 technicality of achieving and training uh, all those movements and putting them all together And then there's the beauty of the moment when the horse and rider truly feel like one individual that have one thinking mind uh, and you're performing, it's that golden moment. I compare it to, you know, the golfer who's having that day where he got a hole in one, his swing is perfect, he doesn't know why, but it's, he's in the moment, time has slowed, right? And everything is is, uh, perfect, or the skier going down the mountain where you know, every turn is perfect. It seems effortless. And that for me is the left brain part of what I do when I get that. Well, it's incredibly addictive. First of all, when you have that moment, when the two of there's the two of you are in the moment together and everything is perfect. Um, but then it, it becomes the dance at that point. I was just going to say, that's my happy dance. That's when I have the human sitting in front of me, the spirit with me, I can hear their thoughts. I can communicate with the spirit world, their family members who've crossed over. Everything is crystal clear. Mm-hmm. And I say to my client, it's so easy. It's the easiest thing in the world to speak to a dead person, to see them, to talk to them, to feel them. 
it's the easiest thing because it's who you are. Mm-hmm. And they're in the the congruency, mm-hmm. the left and the right brain, and brain everything collides. Mm-hmm. And in that collision, it's like sparkles. Mm-hmm. It's you and I talked about that in can I say that, Karen, mm-hmm, in one sure. of your treatments where we see sparkles, where the emotions are in sync and make complete sense with the realities. Yeah, that's a good way to put and it. And all of the realities are are congruent. And it's for me, it's hard not to cry in those moments because it's so overwhelming. It's so overwhelmingly beautiful. And then you hope that that's going to happen in the show ring. <laughs> But, you know, and I I find this interesting that so many people try not to cry in those moments because the tears are a showing of gratitude. Yeah. Right. It's it's an acknowledgement. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That this is everything you've worked for, that this is everything your horse has lovingly and joyfully worked for as Mm -hmm. well. Um, Why someone would want to hold back gratitude is beyond me. Mm -hmm. that's, That's good. The other night I had a gentleman and an older gentleman come in and his mom and dad who'd passed over and his, one of his sisters and a brother all came through to talk to him. And, um, when I said uh, something about his mom and I described her personality, he went, that's, that, that, that's my mom. And literally stood up out of the chair, stood, you know, in the, the treatment room in front of the door, put his hands down threw his head back slightly and just let the tears pour all down his face out of joy. And then he looked at me, wiped his face, big, tall, six foot five man just looked at me and said, this is beautiful. There was a full acceptance and joy of who I am, the gifts, the left and the right brain all coming together in me. And I want to say something, Karen. The willingness and the love to share it. Mm -hmm. The desire that both of us have and that you have to share those experiences with other people so that it isn't something we just feel ourselves. We want that energy to go out there. Mm -hmm. And he felt it, accepted it. You're talking about where the horse accepts it, Mm -hmm. that you become one with the horse in the dance. Mm -hmm. Remember going back where you say the intricate movements? Mm -hmm. Those intricate movements that go back and forth between the left and the right brain in a horse. That's right. Not just in Karen Barnes, Mm -hmm. the the trainer, but that the horse has to be a full being. Mm -hmm. And that the the rider has to be a full being. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the two of you join together in that energy. Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly it. And then if you can take that now into the relationship between two humans, no matter what the relationship, what that joy is when that occurs. Mm-hmm. There's a beautiful quote, and it, I think it, it goes something like, I fall in love with anyone who bears their soul to me. Oh. And I, oh, yeah. I, I think about you know, what you're talking about being a whole being where two of you are committing to bearing your souls to each other, which yeah. is your horse and you. And of course, tears. Yeah. Oh, and I love it is. That. It's a moment of, of truthfully falling in love with someone. Yeah. And you can do it over and over again in a lifetime. Oh, I like what you said. Because sometimes we think after we've been married 20 years or 30 years or 50 years or 60 years, oh my God, some people think, how can they stay together that long? But like you guys just said, if it's if you're full human beings and you're fully expressing that to each other, then it's natural that that grows 
and then that the occurs repeatedly. Well, and those and those moments where you feel that they they are addictive, and you want to have them more and more. So you look for you look for ways to do that, and isn't that a great thing? Well, there's your commitment of what a marriage contract or a soul contract, because Kelly and I read soul contracts, really are about. So when people come in and say, can you read a soul contract? Absolutely. So do we see in the soul contract that you are engaging? Are you a full left and right brained human being? Mm -hmm. If you are and you have found a person who is, then it's pretty easy to know that you're in the right contract. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, I mean, the same thing happens with horses. I've had, just to get back on the horse thing, I've had horses that I have no connection with. Right? And that's just... That's, that's, we, we weren't a good match, just like people, right? And that's when you have to say, okay, this isn't working. Let's find a better place for you. And I'll find a better, a partner that's better suited for me. Oh, and that's a beautiful thing about meeting people. It's a beautiful thing about employees and coworkers that I remember sometimes, like, cause I've had over 20 jobs. I, I was trying to find a place where uh, there was a fit. Mm-hmm. Be for all of who I am, mm-hmm. not a piece of who I am, but all of who I am. And a lot of us don't realize that that's also our responsibility to our partners and our children and our family members and our friends is that our responsibility to them is to be fully who we are, but also to find those occupations and jobs where we are. Yeah, that it's a good fit because there's only going to be frustration uh, if you don't, and you're going to, you're going to lead yourself and your partner, whether that equine or human down a path that isn't going to be true or have integrity. I think it's important to note that if we're talking about left and right brain and the addiction of that synchronicity, there's an addiction to the depression that occurs mm. when the brain separates and, and you're only lo- using left brain, um, or you're only using right brain, uh, that when we, when we divide it, we feel depression Mm -hmm. and that becomes addictive in the body as well. We don't know how to feed anything else. Yeah. And that's why some people stay in any kind of relationship, equine or, or dog Mm -hmm. or cat or human. That's why some of us stay in those jobs that are not good for us or partnerships that are not good for us because that there still is that addiction. I love this conversation. Mm -hmm. And those, those we'll call them neural pathways have been developed then too, right? You've, you find you're on the highway. It's hard to get off the highway onto the side road. <laughs> How do I do that? Where's the where's the cutoff here? That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that is exactly why people will then seek to come and see Kelly and I. Mm-hmm. Why they will seek to find out what their real path is, because that's when they say, "I'm lost. Mm-hmm. I really don't know where to go." The like, GPS is broken. I was down. just gonna say, <laughs> type it into the GPS and figure out the next exit. <laughs> Let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> And what, what Kelly and I often need to do is also to, not just to connect them back left and right brain in the energy part of the work. And that's why Kelly and I say at the beginning of every session, the first thing we ask for permission for is energy healing. Mm-hmm. Because you, it's not just about getting an answer. It's about recon- reconnecting and accessibility and using 
both sides of the brain. Mm -hmm. And if music is helping someone get back to that, if riding the horse and going through the training is, or Kelly and I talked many times about how much we loved Eric and Aaron in uh, Aaron's Canine Academy, um, in training Parker because of process Mm -hmm. and in being able to to learn and to connect to Parker as a living thing, as a, as a being, Mm -hmm. not just a utility. Yeah, a sentient being, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, is what good. people need. Yeah. Um, I'll offer it back to you, or is there more that you'd like to touch on? Oh, let me just check here if there was an... Um, are you ready? No, to? I don't really have anything else to say. Well, Karen, I want to say thank you. This was an absolutely delightful conversation. It came. It brought forth many tools, too, mm-hmm. um, and, and ways for people to self-reflect in their relationships so that it's not all focused on how do I fix someone else? Or how do I see what's wrong with them? But uh, maybe pulling things in a little bit too, to be aware of that other being in your life. And also the self-awareness now. Mm -hmm. So thank you very, very much for bringing your experience with your horses um, into this environment to share it. Well, thanks for letting me talk about it. It's been a lifetime uh, sort of learning, learning all this. And, but it's been a privilege to take it all into my personal life. And sometimes it fails. Um, but it's been a great tool f- for me in, in, in communicating and dealing with people in my life as well. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Um, as always, we encourage listeners to send in comments or questions, uh, or just ideas for podcasts in general. You can email us at info at and we will talk to you next Saturday.